Welcome to the TJF Podcast. My name is Ian Donnelly. There hasn't been a whole lot to laugh about in policing for a few years. This podcast is all about what it was like to be in the British police for the last 30 years. How did it change and more importantly, how did it come to be in a bit of a mess? I'll describe every job that I did over those years. Reading from my book, I'll also give you my thoughts about contemporary policey stuff. I'll interview anyone brave enough to come on and ask them what they think. My wife Kay is going to help me from time to time. There may be a little bit of swearing, so probably better to keep the kids out of the room or use headphones. Everything I say and write comes out of a place of love for policing and police officers. But I know that some people probably won't agree with what I say, and that's completely okay. All I ask is that you read or listen with an open mind. And if you go away feeling that you know more about what policing in Britain is really all about, and perhaps also have a bit more empathy for police officers, then I've succeeded. So, here we go. Hello everybody, Ian here again. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the TJF podcast. It's episode 7 this week. Hope you're all well, hope you're having a good week. Looking forward to a nice weekend. Uh, things getting back to a bit more normality now. Had our first pub lunch last weekend in the sunshine, which was lovely. Um, proper food and beer in a pub garden with the sun out. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. So, okay, so this week, uh, where am I going with this? So the main part of the podcast is going to be uh, a really interesting interview with Professor Tom Lewis. Uh, Tom is the uh, director of the Nottingham Law School's Centre for Rights and Justice. Uh, and he teaches uh, in the areas of human rights, uh, constitutional law, uh, and issues of freedom of expression and public order, uh, specifically around the policing of public order. So uh, without any shadow of a doubt, a really good person to be speaking to, given all of the events of recent times. So I'm going to be discussing all sorts of interesting things with Tom. I'm going to be asking him about the recent protests, uh, the BLM, Kill the Bill all of that kind of stuff, uh, and the way that the, the police have kind of been sort of portrayed, I suppose, and, and the difficult position that they find themselves in, and what his thoughts are around that. Um, I'm going to be asking him about uh, his thoughts generally around the policing of uh, the United Kingdom at the moment, what his thoughts are uh, from an academic's point of view. Um, I also want to talk to him about some of the very difficult, and when I say difficult, I would probably use the word impossible, uh, position that the police currently find themselves around preventing uh, knife crime um, in, in the inner cities. I just want to get his thoughts about how the police balance uh, the need to respect individual civil liberties with the absolute requirement to preserve human life and the tensions that that frequently create for the organisation. So, without further ado, let's get into the interview. I'm absolutely delighted to um, welcome onto the podcast um, Tom Lewis, Professor Tom Lewis from Nottingham University. Really pleased to have uh, you here today. Uh, Nottingham, uh, Ian, Nottingham Trent University. <laughs> it's the, the other one, far better institution at uh, Nottingham. <laughs> I do, I do, I do apologise. So um, I'll keep that in. Actually, it's just uh, that's quite funny, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Tom. Um, can I just ask you to briefly introduce yourself in terms of, you know, who you are, what you do, what your background is, and uh, your sort of area of expertise, if that's possible? Yeah, thanks very much, Ian. Thanks for the invitation um, <clears throat> to talk to you. Um, yeah, I'm a professor of law at uh, Nottingham Law School at Nottingham Trent University. <laughs> and I used to be a solicitor and I came into to lecturing about uh, 25 years ago. And I have built up a sort of research sort of portfolio or profile in um, constitutional law, uh, public law, but with a particular emphasis on human rights and civil liberties, especially freedom of expression and freedom of religion or belief, because that's the area I, I tend to focus on. And my teaching is in the area of public law and human rights. And I've, I've taught for many years um, public order law and, um, and the law of police powers as well. Oh, brilliant. Perfect. So you're definitely the right person to, to be talking to. Um, and and I'm, I've no doubt that later on we'll come on to talk a little bit about the uh, Police Crime Sentencing Courts Bill, 
which generated a lot of um, sort of very heated protest and continues to do so, uh, which comes broadly onto the banner of the kill the bill protests. But um, Tom, just in the spirit of full disclosure, um, probably worth just pointing out um, how we know each other. So, um, so you and I share a mutual friend, Dave, uh, and uh, Dave was, you know, one of your best mates growing up in Sheffield, isn't that right? And, right. and then he was uh, <laughs> one of my best mates at university, and that's where I met you whenever uh, Dave and I were at the same university in Birmingham. So, um, a very, very, very long time ago, yeah, actually. So, so let me think. That's going back to probably. Uh, so I've known you on and off. Our paths have kind of intermittently crossed since about 1984. My God, that's a long time ago, yeah. isn't it? That is frightening. That's painful, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and. Um, so if you forgive me, I'm just going to tell uh, one of my one of my um, <laughs> oh dear. More, more amusing memories. So you you and I um, and Dave, we did uh, you particularly did a, a lot of rock climbing. You were, I suppose, as close to being almost like a professional rock climber as it's possible to come in those days. And you. Um, so the first time I met you, you had taken a year out between finishing your A-levels and going to Oxford to study law. And um, and you were training like mad, weren't you? And you were probably, uh, I would say, equivalent to almost an Olympic athlete, but in rock climbing. Well, you, you, you flatter me. It's very, very kind. I haven't told the story yet. Don't worry. Um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it all goes downhill from here. Um, <laughs> so so my memories of uh, you, know, you coming to university where I first met you, you were uh, super fit. Um, climbing at a very, very high level, sort of nationally, training with some of the best rock climbers, uh, arguably in the world at the time, and um, uh, and your body was a temple at that time. So, so, <laughs> so, so Dave and I decided to take you out to Students Union and um, trash the temple, I suppose, didn't we? <laughs> so you weren't, you weren't. I don't know if you, the temple. I don't suppose you've got any memories of this at all, but. Um, <laughs> You, I introduced you, my, to my shame, to my shame, I introduced you to the noble art of mind sweeping. Do you remember that? So for, so, mm, I have a, well, yeah, so, yeah. so for anybody who <laughs> doesn't know what mind sweeping is all about, that's when you um, have run out of money as, a, as an impoverished student and then you wander around um, furtively and then you grab a pint of beer belonging to someone else and drink it as quickly as you can. So you'd never done mind so I introduced you to mind sweeping, as I recall. And um, and let's just say, if mind sweeping was a religion, you went from atheist to Archbishop, <laughs> Archbishop of Canterbury in about twenty five minutes, as I recall. So <laughs> anyway, so and enough of that. Yeah, no recollection of this whatsoever. <laughs> just all be yeah. sort of made up so fiction so so just to just to reassure um anybody who's listening just because tom and i uh, you know know each other doesn't necessarily mean that tom's going to give me a, an easy ride on any of this stuff um i know tom from the past he's a he's a pretty robust character and um you you are you will say it as it is and challenge where i need i need to be challenged or anybody else needs to be challenged so just to um kind of give you that sort of health warning so anyway uh, enough of that um, walking down memory lane thing, Tom. Um, it would be just useful to know, as I've explained to you, uh, I've written a book, uh, and it's all about how policing changed over a 30 year period, the 30 years that I was in the police, and has come to a position, and again, I don't want to sort of color the waters here, but it, 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 it's come to a position where now policing in the UK is in, a, is in rather uh, a mess, in my opinion, and in the opinion of, of a lot of uh, police officers for all sorts of reasons that are contained in the book but it would just be useful to understand from your perspective as a um as as a as a very well-read knowledgeable academic in this kind of legal space what your general thoughts are around policing in the uk if if you have any for that matter yeah no ian i'm very happy to um to, well, to, to, to say a few words about about that. Um, first of all, many congratulations on on the book, which Thank is you. a fantastic achievement, um, and I can't wait can't can't wait to read it. <clears throat> Once it's out, it'll be flying off the flying off the shelves, I'm sure. Um, so, as you say, I, I studied law. I also studied history at university, and um, in my research, I often try and take the sort of long view on these sort of things, put them into their their, their sort of historical and their their constitutional context. And if 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 you'll indulge me, I'll try and I'll try and sort of do that here. Yep. Um, I'll go kind of way back yeah, yeah. and just try and sort of understand what the basic kind of 
principles and you know tensions are which apply in in, in a very real and visceral way to the current discontent over policing mm. all, all societies have a certain tension at their heart which is between having safety and security law and order mm. people being free to go about their business without being you know interfered with and and um sort of you know disturbed by others against the idea that we want to be free to go about our business and do whatever we want yeah. not be interfered with too much by by the by, by the by by others and there's a kind of basic tension between sort of security and freedom yeah um and this goes i mean in, if you look at the classic english philosophers um if you go back to someone like thomas hobbes writing in 1651 in in the immediate aftermath of the english civil wars or the british civil wars you know the most terrible sort of events to befall you know these islands um he wrote a, a very you know well-known book famous book called leviathan hobbes leviathan mm -hmm. and he envisages a state of perfect freedom he envisages a state where we're all free to do anything we want it's, it, it, it's kind of and he calls it a state of nature mm -hmm. and in this state of nature where anyone can do anything anything they want um it's terrible it's anarchy uh -huh. and he's got this wonderful phrase the lot of the human being in the state of nature is solitary poor nasty brutish and short right. and he says envisaging that envisaging envisaging the state of nature what we need to do, people need to get together and do a deal to appoint a sovereign. Yep. That's the Leviathan, he calls it. Right. The Leviathan will keep us safe, will enforce, will make rules, make laws, enforce those laws yeah. and punish rigorously, according to the law, those who, who, who breach those laws. And those laws are designed to keep us safe. And that's the deal. That's the bargain. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, Hobbes's kind of state that he comes up with is really i mean it's like a modern day china or yeah. russia or there's very little freedom right it's it's a really sort of hard rigorous place yeah and subsequent thinkers like john locke writing uh, a few years later sort of mitigates this a bit and he's in, in a way the father of the enlightenment sort of movements that lead to the american constitution and the bill of rights and that kind of yeah, thing yeah. and locke says well no there are some natural rights that we have to liberty which need to be preserved when we do that deal mm -hmm. with the sovereign yeah and if the sovereign breaches those rules, it, it, it entails a right to revolution, right. which you can overturn that sovereign who takes away too much of our freedom. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the opening lines of the Declaration of Independence 1776, when the American colonists kicked out the oppressive British for their unduly rigorous policing of the, uh, right. the, the, the legislation yeah. in, involving the Tea Act and the stamp duty and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think in many ways, the biggest triumph of human societies is reconciling this tension right. between security and liberty with something called Western liberal democracy, right. whereby you can have a, a democratic component, protection for human rights and civil liberties, mm. and a balance. You called it a knife edge earlier, but yeah, a balance yeah, yeah. between these two things. Yeah. And as you said, they're constantly in flux. Yeah. It's it's a difficult knife edge. It's a watershed. So is it, is, is it the police are right in the middle. That's my point, really. Yeah. The police. Are, so my 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 sort of general point would be, and I think this you allude to this in your writing. It's ever it's always been thus. The police are right on that point where they have to protect liberty, but they yeah. also have to retain security. Yeah. And it. If you go back, sorry, you, you want, I think you wanted to. No, 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 no. It's just. I was, I was just going to. No, I think you just basically said what I was about to say myself in a different way. Is that is that you know when people say to me, "What's it like being in the police?" I'm like thinking, "Oh God, well, where do you want? Where do you even want me to even start with that?" You know. Um, but what I would say to anyone um, thinking of joining the police or or sort of early in their career or uh, is to say, "Do not for one moment um, imagine that this is straightforward." You know the the job that you're just about to embark on is is arguably, uh, in my view, one of the most complex jobs that you will ever do. If you think about it, and that's the thing, if you actually think about uh, what you're doing um, and the the critical role that you're playing in in terms of mediating between, um, you know, that that sort of those universal human rights, but at the same time dealing with people who who don't buy into that, 
who 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 want to just go out and do what they want and whether that's stealing killing you know whatever um or 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 parking on double yellow lines you know what i mean it, there's there's the stuff that you're going to have to get involved in so so in terms of taking that long view um and the balance between civil liberties and uh, the, the the need for security do you think that balance is about right at the moment? Do you think it's out of kilter? Where would you say we kind of currently are as a, as a British, as a society, I suppose, with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of human rights. Mm. I think human rights are a, a fantastic sort of, sort of innovation, which have come about since the, really, the, 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 you know, the, the, the wave of human rights, which evolved since the, um, the revelations about the atrocities of the 1940s and the Universal Declaration 1948. And in Europe, we have the European Convention on Human Rights, which seeks within within the context of a democratic society, and a, and a pure dem democratic society has problems because obviously dem democracies tend to be dominated by majorities. Yeah. That's the point, majority rules. Yeah. The idea of a liberal democracy is that you mitigate that majoritarianism with the idea of fundamental rights, that there are some things which majorities can't just sweep away mm. at, the, at the behest of a, kind of, of, of a kind of parliamentary or legislative majority. There are some things which are principles which, you know, stand up mm. and can't just be knocked down. And, you know, I think the greatest triumph of the of the of the Tony Blair Labour government was the introduction of the Human Rights Act. And in many ways, you know, and it's really unpopular. I'm not exactly sure what the current government's well, state, I think, state I think, so just to, so just to cut sort yeah. of slightly, I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't disagree that with anything you've said, <clears throat> said there. Uh, I suppose from the um, practitioner's perspective in policing, which as we've already agreed is, is fantastically complex and controversial uh, almost it's a, it's a situation normal it's it's a permanent state of controversy isn't it um yeah exactly a, yeah a, i think that you allude to that in the title of your book yeah. don't you really so uh, i suppose from my perspective and the perspective of, of a lot of police officers is that um that legislation feels sometimes as if it's being rather abused by um those who are probably very undeserving so i think about um the way that um, you know it, it's kind of uh, used by uh, radical lawyers to um, seek recompense for their clients who are very often criminals or terrorists, and, and, and you know others others you know would say, well, what do you mean by terrorist? You know, one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter or whatever. Um, but there is there is a general sense that um, the only people who seem to um, benefit from a lot of that legislation sometimes feels as if it's the most undeserving of people. Does that make sense? Mm. No, totally. And I think I, a couple of things there. Yeah, your your you know use of the term general sense. I think there is a general sense, and I think human rights are very unpopular, and certainly that is sort of whipped up by populist politicians, populist politicians pandering to majorities. And also um, by the media, mm. who want to sell newspapers mm. and, um, and 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 make profits. But yeah, well, on one point, I suppose um, the point about human rights is they are human rights. So they very often do come to the help of those who are human. Yeah, <laughs> they right. retain that humanity, mm. and but aren't very often aren't very nice people. Yeah, very often the beneficiaries of human rights majorities tend to do all right in in, in most societies right. democratic societies majorities do fine you and i will do fine yeah. okay it's those who are at the margins and sometimes it's those they're at the margins because they're in minority groups religious or ethnic or um uh gen you know uh, lgbt type mm. sort of situations they're majorities in that sense but often it, people are at those margins because they're not very nice people mm. and the question is well do they still have human rights well they do have human rights yeah. but those rights can be balanced those rights can be limited and um <clears throat> i think you know it's important to keep a view on that notion 
that right that the, the, the right protecting the human rights act are human rights and a lot of the publicity yeah of course lawyers use this and there is a danger i think of, yeah. of, of legalization that there are these lofty principles yeah. which are then used yeah to sort of yeah. beat up yeah. people like the police yeah. you know so, sort of so really good example sort of Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. A really good example of no, that no, no, is uh, yeah. Shamia Begum, you know, who's a well-known um, young woman who, who left the UK to join Islamic State in Iraq and Syria and, and then had her British citizenship revoked. Um, and, and I believe, I could be wrong on this, I believe that that went to the Court of Appeal um, and she lost that appeal, meaning that she mm. still has, uh, you know, denaturalised um, status. So... A lot of, you know, a lot of people in the UK will will turn around and go, who cares? She deserves it. Who cares? Of course, she went out there. Yeah, she, exactly. made her own bed. She can lie on it. But, That's the general view. But if you want to play devil's advocate with that, you would say, well, when she did go out there, she was a child. Um, she was only 15. So, you know, did you did you or I fully understand the, the implications of her decisions at the age of 15? Well, I certainly didn't. I don't think many people do so so yeah i but but i suppose getting back to my point um yeah let's get back to the, the police yeah, yeah um in terms in terms of the, in terms of the in terms of the police um so so my sort of general kind of position on all of this at the moment is that the police in the uk are currently in a situation where they cannot do right for doing wrong um and and po politicians have been uh, interfering in policing for so long now um, and the the role of the police, I, I think I think if you got a hundred police officers in a room and said to them, um, right, you're not allowed to, you know, and talk to each other. You've got to write down a list of, you know, five things. Tell me what you think the police are there to do as it stands here in 2021 in the UK. I think you get so many different, you know, do so many different views as to what the police are there to do. Because they, because the mission, for want of a better word, of policing has become so kind of almost diluted and, and lost. Um, and equally, if you got a hundred members of the public in the room and said to them, "What do you think the British police should be there to do?" You would get, uh, a, you know, again a very, very broad range of, of of views on that. So, I suppose my basic point is. I'm not quite sure that the police know what their job is anymore. I'm not sure. What, I'm not sure yeah. the British public actually fully understand what the police are there to do. I, I suppose two things. Uh, well, one is a question, which is, and I don't. What what are young police officers told their job is when they that because and there's a lot of police. I've got colleagues who do police training, and mm. that, that uh, is there a general kind of what strapline, which is this is the your basic core mission, or is it too is it too kind of yeah, well, I think dissolved. I think too sort of dissipated. I think it's. Well, I, I mean, I think it's it's intriguing about that. I think it's become incredibly, incredibly broad for uh, the, the mission of policing. Uh, when I when I first joined, sort of, you know, well, it's thirty two years ago now, isn't it? Um, it was pretty straightforward, really. Your job was there to to prevent crime, uh, prevent crime and disorder, and, and keep the Her Majesty's peace. Um, and and obviously, the majority of the training that we did in those days was around criminal legislation, uh, legislation, you know, so, so when, I, when I say criminal, it could be road traffic legislation, it could be, and, and really it was pretty straightforward. So when, when we were out on the street, we knew that our job was to catch bad people doing bad stuff. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, 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 what, that's what a five-year-old yeah. would say, yeah, Lisa's yeah, job. Yeah, and to help people as well. You know, obviously there's an awful lot of things that we did that had nothing to do with crime. So it could be sudden deaths or dealing with mm. um, lost children or, um, you know, um, accidents in the street. So you'd be some poor old dear who would keel over you know crossing the road and she'd end up with a nasty gash in her leg and we'd have to you know what I mean there's all sorts of things that we do that have nothing to do with crime and that's always been the case whereas today um for for all sorts of complex reasons uh mostly to do with I think uh withdrawal of funding for other frontline services such as particularly around mental health alcohol and drug services um there is um, a, a sort of a sense that the police have been drawn into dealing with all sorts of things that that isn't really part of the core mission. So it'll be very, very normal for a police officer now to sit for an almost an entire shift 
just babysitting someone who's got mental who's, who's experiencing a mental health crisis because there isn't any there aren't any enough beds in the mental health secure units or whatever equally the vulnerability agenda has become so broad um uh, so there was a time probably 10 years ago where our understanding of vulnerability wasn't very good um so which allowed things like rotherham um and the sort of sexual exploitation of very vulnerable children to take place kind of kind of out of sight of the authorities because we didn't understand what vulnerability really meant so whereas we understand that really really well now so we're doing an awful lot of stuff around vulnerability but but then uh, arguably at the expense of the old-fashioned core mission which is about catching criminals does that all make sense yeah yeah I mean, you lost me a bit with Rotherham because I mean, I'm very close to Rotherham you know, geographically, and I and I know there were there were there was talk of bad stuff going on for a long time. Yeah. Um, in this neck of the woods, mm-hmm. and that nothing was being was was being done about it. And in my view, that was just criminal behavior. I mean, yeah. it, it there was that, that was that was catching the bad people, which the police didn't do. Yeah. It was yeah. there was no there wasn't much nuance about that. Yeah, it yeah. was fairly yeah. in my mind fairly straightforward, and, and the other similar cases like that. Yeah um so just it, to, but uh, just to, just to... I, I wonder i wonder yeah because what you're the way what you describe seems to be a kind of it's a policy thing isn't it it's about funding to other agencies which has left the police kind of holding the yeah holding the baby kind of thing yeah. in so many other areas which seems to be in some ways i say this but it's 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 not not a difficult one that is it you ju- you could just realign yeah presumably yeah if, you, if there was a political will can we just move on to talk about the police crime sentencing courts bill? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I believe you've got some knowledge of that. I mean, what's your general what's your general sense on that piece of legislation? Some knowledge, I suppose. <laughs> forgive me, I'm going to take the long view a little bit. Not quite as long this time. Or maybe, maybe, maybe just as long. But um, yeah, I mean, I I'm interested in in sort of public protest and public order, which comes out of my interest in freedom of expression, really, and and that's an area I, I research on. Um, and I've taught it, and I and I, you know, I taught it, I taught a lecture course on it again this year on the on, on the on the on the basic nuts and bolts law of, of of public order, public order act, breach of the peace, that kind of that kind of stuff. Um, and I guess, you know, I go back to what I said about we live in a, a liberal democracy, and with an emphasis on democracy and 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 freedom of expression, and freedom of assembly, freedom of peaceful assembly, are things which go back as protected civil liberties in the English common law for, for centuries, yeah. um, often not very well protected, but they've been values. And, and of course, now we have the European Convention on the Human Rights Act, Article 10, Freedom of Expression, Article 11, Right to Peaceful Assembly. And those are protected in, in, in statute law. And um, they're absolutely essential for people to be able to sort of go on the streets mm-hmm. and make known yeah. issues which the government needs to you know, give an account of itself yeah. to make known issues of genuine public importance, and it's yeah. a fundamental right in any de- any democratic society. And to, to to illustrate that, you just have to think any any dictator who seizes power, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're not going to start torturing people straight away. You're not going to start killing people start straight away. What you're going to do is curtail freedom of expression, stop people going on the streets. I give you China. I give you Russia. I give you Iran. Mm. I just I, I, here I had an, an interview with Nazanin uh, Zaghari Ratcliffe this week. The reason she's been rearrested is because she was spotted in a protest outside the Iranian embassy over a decade ago. Mm. That's what you do to curtail a population, is to take away those rights. And I think there's a very great risk mm. um, in eroding existing rights right. with legislation off the back of a kind of certain populist agenda. Yeah. And I see this bill as having aspects of that. I've got, I, I, I'd like to make some detailed points, but mm. also I'd like to give you the opportunity to jump in yeah, there. Yeah. If you, so, if like so just to, so I, I actually fundamentally agree with everything you've just said there. Um, and I think most fair-minded police officers um, that I know would probably also agree with what you've just said there. My, my sort of issue really with all of this is that um, the legislation, I caveat what I'm going to say is I've not read every line in that, in that bill. Um, my understanding of of the particular because it's a very mixed bag of measures, isn't it? Oh, it's huge, huge. Um, I mean, it, yeah, um, yeah. I've only read the public order. Yeah, but if but if we're just if we're just talking about the uh, the right to protest bit, 
because yeah. uh, there's all sorts of other stuff in there as well, isn't there? Um, the my my issue with it is that uh, the, the the bill has actually been misrepresented slightly um, for mischievous reasons by uh, activists and uh, certain parts of the media as being this kind of uh, oppressive, um, you know, uh, attempt to stop people protesting and uh, just protesting per se, which is not the case at all. Um, it, it's, it's a case of saying um, it's fine to protest. You know, it's a fundamental human right to protest. But when that protest then turns into something that is stopping large numbers of people going around about their sort of lawful daily business, or it's um, uh, significantly interrupting what is lawful commercial activity that has been sanctioned in the courts, um, then that's not acceptable. So the examples being things like um, uh, Reclaim the Streets, um, you know, where they're bringing whole parts of central London effectively to a complete standstill, stopping people from getting to work, stopping businesses from functioning effectively. Uh, and, and again, don't get me wrong, I, I'm all for saving the planet as much as anyone else is, but I'm just not sure that that's the right way to do it. Equally, you look at HS2, for example, some of the very um, you know, disruptive tactics being used by protest groups, to and, and which often become quite sort of aggressive and confrontational again is that is that protest or is that almost a sort of a you know something verging on a, a sort of like a paramilitary aggressive kind of um challenge to the authorities so i suppose that's what i'm saying is that i actually think it's been misrepresented yeah i mean i'll take your point and i think this isn't an abolish, ab abolition of the right to protest at all. But I suppose I must make a few points, really. But one thing I'd be very wary of uh, over the course, taking the long view again, is the erosion of certain liberties by little nibbles away. And I remember you know, in the passage of the 1986 Public Order Act at that, at that point, which was, a re re which was a kind of response to the sort of Brixton riots yeah. and uh, the miners' strike and public order, uh, these things, they, it's funny, these, it's interesting looking at the, the, these bits of legislation going back to 1936, which the public order, 1936 was a response to the sort of fascist communist riots in the, on the streets of London, Mo, Os Oswald Mosley and all that. There's always some, you know, uh, the 94 legislation, Criminal Justice and Public Order Act, that's a result of, you know, the, the New Age travellers and raves and, and that, that kind of thing. There's always a kind of thing which triggers a new, a new kind of piece of legislation on yeah. public order. Um, so I'm aware, I'd be wary of, of, of gradual erosion, even though it's not a complete sort of, it's not a ban, but it's, a, it's, a, it's another nibbling away at certain freedoms. The police already have a lot of power. Mm. So the police are using those powers. Mm. So if you think about it, that it, the, the test in the 1986 legislation is serious, with the threshold test is serious disruption to the life of the community. Mm. And that at the time was thought to be pushing it too far, but that's the current law. Mm. And many of the situations you describe would meet that threshold mm. there's this highways act which is a you know doesn't apply to public protest but gives the police wide power to clear the clear the streets mm. the massive common law powers in relation to breach of the peace and we've seen not too long ago the extension of those powers in the use of things like kettling which have been upheld as compliant with human rights by the courts mm. so the police have a large battery of powers already mm. and my sense about this legislation is that it's not really needed it's kind of political posturing by a current administration who want to be seen to be doing something in a certain direction and I, I, and actually for me the most insidious piece of this legislation is a slightly one which has kind of been missed in most of the commentary. Um, and it goes to the very heart of our constitutional settlement, if you like, and, that, and the separation of powers between the executive, the courts and the legislature. Under this legislation, the Home Secretary is going to have the power to make regulations to specify through example what will constitute serious disruption to the life of the community. OK, so traditionally in a Western liberal democracy, the interpretation of legislation is that Parliament makes the law, mm -hmm. having been proposed by the government, the executive and the courts, the independent courts 
adhering to the idea of the rule of law, then interpret that law and decide how it applies in particular cases. Mm. And we can see that in the whole host of recent cases on the legislation, where many of these cases, the protesters have lost. Mm. They've said, I've got a human right to protest. And the courts have said, yeah, but you've gone too far. Many, many cases mm. where that's yeah. happened. Um, here, in this bill, the Home Secretary will have power to specify what constitutes serious disruption to the life of the community, thereby a minister of the Crown, a member of the executive, is telling the court what how to interpret the law and actually making a regulation to ensure that that is the way it's interpreted. So all the power mm. in relation to this aspect of public order is taken into the hands of a minister of the crown. Mm. And I think that is a seriously dangerous yeah. erosion. And well, well, I must, I must admit that I, I must admit I didn't know that, Tom. And, and, and as yeah, you, and it's, and, it's one of those slightly arcane. No, no, but it's really things. it's a really important point, isn't it? And um, and I would I would 100 percent agree that that's not a desirable situation. Um, and I, I think it, it undermines the independence of the, the judiciary and, um, and you know, opens the door potentially to a very authoritarian um, interpretation of that, of that legislation. So every day is a school day. Thank you. <laughs> but um, so most people will have dropped. You mentioned constitution, <laughs> and they've. <won't. laughs> so so um, one of one of the things that that is um, causing a lot of unhappiness in policing at the moment, I suppose, is that, um, and this has always been the case up to, you know, it's always been the case that the police are thrust into these very hostile, um, confrontational situations, having to try and keep the peace against the backdrop of a, of a new piece of legislation, that, and this is the important point, that they had no part in creating. But but yet it seems to me that, um, you know, the, the, the anger, uh, the aggression and the violence is taken out on the police. So, uh, and I understand that because they're they're sort of um, the most visible and uh, available um, target for those individuals. And they're on the watershed, as we said at the very beginning. They're at that the most tricky job because they're at that that sort of watershed or knife edge between security and freedom and that in a way you know we go back to the sort of examples we, we cited before it, it's it i would say it's almost ever the plus 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 change plus say rest la même chose or you're a friend you, <laughs> you, you did his, more things you did history you didn't do friends i, I did friends you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah so th so there's a there's a real sense of um all of this stuff that's going on at the moment, and you can reel it all off, Black Lives Matters, so let's talk about that for a minute. Black Lives Matters, an incident that happened many thousands of miles away in uh, the USA that has a policing um, culture that couldn't, could not be more different to the British way of policing, um, is conflated with British policing, and, and then you see these this huge kind of turnout of people on the streets and uh, you know running battles through uh, Whitehall and statues being toppled and defaced and cenotaph some some bright spark trying to set fire to the Union Jack on the cenotaph and all of this stuff you know now what's your take on all of that I mean my my interpretation of this and I'm going to put my amateur psychologist head on here for a moment is I think the world has gone a bit crazy in the last sort of, I don't know, let's say five, 10 years, you know, you look at what's been going on in the States with Trump, this very divisive kind of rhetoric that's being um, coming from both sides, a very binary um, sort of narrative, um, which which is now, as, as everything tends to do, it then infects this country. If it starts off in the States, it, it inevitably, you know, what does it say? If, if they sneeze in the States, we catch a cold, don't we? Um, so what's your take on, on all of that stuff, the Black Lives Matter stuff? Yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I put on my slightly amateur, even more amateur hat here. But um, I think, again, sort of slightly taking the long view. Um, and I'm, this is, I'm sure, strongly connected, although I haven't quite worked out how. But the growth of mass communication mass instant global communication through the internet and social media and the linking to that of the serious growth of people's a fragmentation of identities and people mm -hmm. adhering to to, new, to to identities which they maybe wouldn't have sort of quite 
adhered to in the same way before. So when you say that, do you mean um, do you mean all of the sort of stuff around identity politics and sort of gender, yeah, gender, yeah, ethnicity? Exactly. Yeah, much more aware of of identities that before they probably were, were, were not quite as to the forefront. And I think the whole the way that social media works kind of exacerbates that. Um, and I think um, I'm sh I'm sure that if you, if you imagine a pre a pre social media pre I um, pre-internet age it wouldn't have been mm. as it is mm. Um, mm. In, in the last sort of few years in, in that way and um, so I think there's there's something about the, the growth of social of, of, of social media and communication and it's a funny one because as, as, a, as a kind of proponent of freedom of expression I think expression is is, is, is vital you know mm. it's vital for democracy it's vital for self-fulfillment it's vital to pursue the truth yeah um, but it it comes with a cost, and uh, you know, yeah. if you think about the you know the invention of the of mass printing mm. in the in, in the sixteenth century, well, that led to horrendous trouble. Let's think about the, the Thirty Years' War, <laughs> yeah. one of the most bloody conflicts in in human history, um, and Reformation and schism and and, and identity. Mm. And I think these kind of big ructions in um, the way we communicate with each other and these developments in the way we communicate with each other tends to have these knock-on effects. And again, the police are in the middle of this. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think it's it's connected. Yeah. It's somehow connected yeah. to that. And I'm sure there are scholars who are much brighter than me it's that look really, at this kind of it's thing. It's a really interesting. Yeah. It's a really interesting one. And and in my um, new kind of commercial life uh, since leaving the police, I'm uh, an advisor, technology advisor to uh, technical. Uh, suppliers who develop I suppose what could broadly be described as public safety solutions so I'm doing a lot of work on internet safety um, I'm working doing a lot of stuff with companies developing very innovative uh, powerful artificial intelligence solutions to try and identify and uh, remove toxic content on the internet so when I say toxic I'm not talking about somebody who's a you know, who's got an, an opinion that you might disagree with. We're talking about the very worst behaviour here. Mm -hmm. the, 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 bull the bullying that's pushing people into taking, you know, young people into taking their own lives and self-harming, um, you know, uh, ha ha sort of uh, illegal uh, content involving uh, se sexual images of children and all of this kind of stuff. And it's interesting because because whilst I've always understood the challenge from a theoretical point of view, it's only since I've written this book and started using social media a lot more, I've actually seen, you know, firsthand just how bad some of this stuff actually is. And I'll give you an example of that. I, you know, it's all very well to talk about these things in theoretical terms, but when it starts affecting you personally, you know, you sort of think, shit, this is bad. So there was a... Yeah. There was a um, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole from my last podcast looking at, uh, and I'd be really interested in your views on this one in, in a moment, um, the increasing tendency to film and record police officers out on the streets just doing their job. Um, mm. And uh, it's almost sort of pretty kind of normal uh, now that every time a police officer gets involved with somebody out in the street, they get a, they get a camera phone shoved in their faces and um, uh, and very often that footage ends up being uploaded to social media or YouTube, uh, frequently, you know, very sort of uh, taken out of context or, or whatever to show the police in a very bad light. Um, and there are now, believe it or not, um, there are now dedicated YouTube channels just for, for people who go out quite deliberately to try and goad police officers into a reaction in order to get them into trouble. And one of the more sort of prolific of these is called Auditing Britain, where this guy is a self-appointed sort of arbiter of, of police um, action and will wander into police stations, wander up to police officers in the street, start filming them and try and get some sort of reaction. And one of, one of his videos is, is called Botox Britain. And he basically... Um, <laughs> it's in the old you know in the old days we would have just we would have just uh you know kind of dismissed these people as cranks um and, yeah. and time wasters but but now that they've got a youtube channel and on a, on a smartphone and um uh, so he, he he wandered up to to the royal Ma a royal mail office in northampton 
started filming the poor old Royal Mail people going about their business, did not, you know, just, just a typical day at the Royal Mail. Unsurprisingly, a couple of guys come out and challenge me and say, why are you videoing us? Um, he said, I don't have to tell you, uh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, long story short, the police get called. Um, a couple of female police officers turn up um, who try and deal with them. And then he starts and turns his attentions to them. Uh, he's uploaded this video to his channel uh, and he's um, extremely rude about one of the female officers. And uh, anyway, the point I'm getting to is some of the comments and this video has been viewed something like, I don't know, three or four hundred thousand times. Um, there's many thousands of comments on, on the video, uh, many of which are extremely sexually kind of abusive towards the, the female officers. And what an idiot. Rule number one of social media, don't get involved in an argument with idiots. I broke that really, really badly because I, I, <laughs> I started, I started <laughs> taking, on, taking on some of these people. And just saying you're a complete and utter disgrace. You should be hanging your heads in shame, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then it all, of course, it all went off at Haydock, didn't it? I was getting yeah. I was getting all sorts of abuse, you know what I mean? So what what's your what's your what's your take on Oh look, look, I, I mean I I'm a I confess I'm a dinosaur. I don't engage with any of this stuff. I I hate it. I I'd rather be reading my um my Thomas Hobbes, basically. <laughs> Uh, from 1651, I, I, my, my visceral, initial, personal, under sort of reaction to all of this is I reject it and I don't have anything to do with it, and this sounds incredibly upsetting. And I, and I, I've got no real conception of the, the sort of thing you described there. It's awful. It's terrible. Mm. And I can see how, if you're a, you know, a police officer going about your work and you've got a phone in your face and you're being goaded, that would be really, really upsetting and annoying. And yeah. what you described there is awful. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well at, one point, at one point, the guy says to the female officer, he said, have you had Botox done on your lips? And then, yeah. he started, I, I, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. like he cheek-bursted. The problem the police have got, is going back to where we started, is that they are the, the, at that cusp again. They're at that intersection. And, they, and the police have, and this is the striking thing, I think it's it's worth stating that the police have a monopoly of the coercive power of the state. Mm. Um, they, you know, and that's a, a significant point, isn't it? And it that ma this massive massive power um, to perform acts which take away people's freedom completely yeah. in the power of arrest and detention and even stop and search. Yeah. And I might get onto that later. Um, so I think this is terrible and it's distressing, the fact that this happens. But I've got a sense, I don't see quite a, a way around that mm. because, of course, one of the problems with a lot of the exercise of a lot of police power is... And this is what I when I when I when I when I lectured this, it was there's visibility, there's no visibility that you know it's it's if if there's a stop and search taking place, it's just one person's word against the police officers. And often that can lead to abuses of power. Because yeah. those who those who have power, there's always a temptation to abuse it, especially if you think you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. So that's why we have all these codes of practice and this legislation which allocates power to police officers. And mm. if they stray out, stray beyond those powers, it's it's acting on it's just an assault or a, or, a, a, yeah. or a, a, an unlawful detention. They've, they've got you've got to stay within the law. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, the filming of these things. It leads to accountability. Yeah, I yeah. give you George Floyd. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and how do we? How would we take a nuanced view to say, well, we, you're not, you can't video yeah. an arrest, uh, film an arrest of someone who, with a with a police officer putting their knee on somebody's neck. That's not allowed, yeah. or that is allowed. Yeah. And and another yeah. kind of filming isn't. And I, how you would draw those distinctions? Yeah. So what I've so what I've proposed because I, I, I got a, yeah. I got a real. So I'm, I'm um, I don't know what my answer is there. No, Ian, sorry. I, I, no, I I agree. I think I I got so incensed by watching some of these videos. Um, I just yeah. thought this is absolutely outrageous. I didn't even realize these YouTube channels existed. It's an absolute <laughs> total disgrace. That police officers, yep. public servants, are having to go to work every yep. day and have these complete clowns um, behave in this way. And I totally agree with what you're saying that that it's it's that balance again between um, the rights of the individual um, and and the rights of the rights of police officers. You know, it's their human rights as well. So how would I feel? Yeah, totally. How would yeah. I, how would I feel if that girl on that video was my daughter? 
um, going to work. I'd be absolutely, I would be, I would almost have murderous, yeah. murderous rage watching, yeah. watching that and thinking that's just not on. So, you know, would it be acceptable for a, 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 a class of 15, 16 year olds to sit there all with the camera phones out videoing the teacher trying to do their job or, or for a doctor or nurse trying to do their, you know, work in a, in an, in an A&E department. So I've, I've, anyway, I've, I've, I've contacted the, um, I've sent, I've sent some of that stuff to ask the questions of the home office in terms of what's their position and all of this kind of stuff. And I do think there's a balance to be struck there. I do think, I do think we need to, um, give, give people like police officers and, and doctors and nurses on hearing, I'm hearing stories from GPs of yeah. people covertly, uh, recording, yeah. GPs consultations and things like that. So this is this is an issue. Anyway, I go down a bit of a. a good... You're completely right. There are human rights there. We've got you know Article Eight of the European Convention on Human Rights protects the right to private and family life, home and correspondence, and yeah. that is certainly being interfered with in those situations. But it's it's a question of practically what do you do when something's online, which is one of the great problems of modern civilization, isn't it? Once it's out there, yeah. how do you put that genie back in the bottle? It's it's a terrible yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I I would hesitate to so to ban the filming yeah, because no. I, I, I just don't know how you yeah. draw, how you'd nuance the distinction. I, I think the, I think the distinction is that, yes, it's absolutely fine to film police officers, but it's not fine to upload it to social media. Yeah, I think, I think I'd go somewhere like that as well. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and yeah. it's it's fine to, to film it. And, and then if you hold on to that um, film footage and you can use that uh, as part of a formal complaint, you can give that to, mm, your, to, yeah. to, your, that to your solicitor. Um, or you can yeah. you can have it with the judge's uh, magistrate's permission. You can show it in court, but it's not acceptable to upload it to YouTube because you're impinging yeah. on someone else's human rights. Then, aren't you? I think I'd have some sympathy with that. Uh, view, listen, actually. just a, a slight different uh, change of direction. Mm. Um, uh, you touched on this a, a moment ago. Stop and search and mm. uh, knife crime. So again, we've really gone. We've really kind of you know that that point that uh, we're constantly walking the, that knife edge between the right to um, you know civil liberties and and public safety. The police, as you know, have had so much grief over um, a uh, the way they conduct stop and search. The fact that numerically, I don't think it's without any. Uh, there's no dispute that numerically. Uh, it is being used in a disproportionate way towards uh, predominantly young black men in the, city, in the inner city, but but simultaneously a young black man. I I'm pretty sure that I've got the, the numbers right here, but I think a young black man between the ages of I think 16 and 21, and this is Professor Larry Sherman from uh, Cambridge University has recently um, pointed out that a young man between those ages in the inner cities. Uh, a young black man is something like 24 times more likely to be murdered than uh, a young white man of the same age. So how do we square the circle between very high levels of gun and knife crime in the inner cities for all sorts of complex reasons that, you know, all about social deprivation and all of these different things. It's a really toxic mix. So it's not, it's not straightforward, but how do we, how do we support police officers to, um, try and stem those murders, knifings, killings, whilst at the same time reassuring the wider public that are using their powers in a responsible way. I suppose that's the question, isn't it? Yeah, it's a desperately difficult question you pose. I mean, I, 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 I had to think about it before before we talked because you suggested we could talk about this. Um, look, I mean, I, one thing. I mean, I've taught the law on this. Um, the, just the black letter doctrinal law, mm. you know, um, section one of PACE and code A and, and and you read those provisions, you know, we're talking about an act from 1984, Police and Criminal Evidence Act. And those provisions were brought in because of problems like this. Mm. And, and the codes have been amended over time, the codes of practice, which guide police officers on how they're meant to use their legal powers. They're not legal powers themselves, but they're, you know, guidance, if you like. And if you read the code of practice on stop and search, it, it, it stresses so much how these powers should be conducted in a non-discriminatory way, um, should only be based on good intelligence or and, 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 and the legal test is a reasonable suspicion that someone is carrying a, a prohibited article or or in other in other statutes um prohibited drugs and that kind of thing and so that the legal structure is incredibly strong um and yet i and as i say i'll, I'll to, to give you an anecdote i'll give you two anecdotes actually which i don't know if they're going to help but um one anecdote I, I taught this stuff for like 
I haven't taught it the last couple of years, but I taught it about 22, 23 years. Um, black, the black letter law in a lecture of 400 students, first year law students. And at the end of every year when I did that lecture, at the end of the lecture, a young black man would come up, sidle up to the stage and he'd say, so that's the law, is it? So, and every time he'd, he'd explain and describe how he had been stopped and searched by the police when he was doing nothing. And he, you know, and he thought, well, really, that, that's the law? And it happened to me. So just a snapshot there. Um, the, the other thing, and again, I'm not sure this will particularly help, but it, 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 it's in, it, it might be interesting. I, when I was doing my law finals at, 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 um, in Nottingham, and I, um, I was right in the middle of my revision. And I, you know, and I think I'd done some of the exams and I, was, I hadn't washed for a few days and I was looking pretty rough. And I went to Boots to buy some personal toiletries. And um, on the way out from Boots, I was approached by two men in bad suits who said, who stopped and searched me. <laughs> and, and I remember I was so humiliated. Oh and So on what basis? Because they thought I'd stolen something. And I couldn't find the receipt for this bar of soap, which I'd bought. <laughs> and it was a humiliating <laughs> thing in, 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 the, in the shopping centre in Nottingham. And I remember going, where's my receipt? I've got a receipt. And I was so overcompliant, but I was, it was such a humiliating, yeah. you know, experience. Yeah. As a, as a, and I knew my rights. I'd been revising this stuff, you know. <laughs> so, you know, having been the subject of a stop yeah. and search, albeit in a very kind of benign way, really, yeah, yeah. I can attest to how it is a major, it's a big deal. Yes, it is. You know, it is. Yeah. Now, yeah, to go, that doesn't, neither of those points really answers your question, but it does illustrate. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not something, how it's not something to be undertaken lightly. No, um, no. And, and we, yeah. we um, I, 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 certainly my, my experience, um, and this goes back to sort of the point I made really right at the start of this in terms of how the mission of the police has changed so much. Um, when we were, uh, when I was, you know, a relatively young in-service officer in South London. 95% uh, of our time and focus was on people who we knew were involved in crime. We knew it through experience and through intelligence. Um, and that's, those are the people who we focused on uh, almost exclusively. Uh, well, I'm not interested in stopping and searching Mr. Average going about his business i'm just not as you know my, my i see the job of the police as being fo understanding who's committing crime in your local area so you need to have your intelligence absolutely right who's committing crime what sort of crime is this? is it burglaries is it robberies is it drug dealing whatever it is so your intelligence needs to be right and then you need to re remorselessly go after those individuals until you've either put them in prison to stop them offending and harming the community or you divert them into some sort of other you know less sort of damaging activity or you give them the help that they need through drug and alcohol treatment or mental health whatever it is you know what i mean so it's a it's a kind of a carrot and a stick approach but the key point is that whether you're offering a carrot or a stick it needs to be to people who you know are involved in crime um so it feels to me a little bit as if because of the epidemic of knife crime uh in, you know that's taken place in the last number of years um, inevitably a large number of young probably black men who are who are not involved in crime are probably getting um, stopped and searched in a way that is you know giving them the impression that they were that the police are just going out there with a sort of a very blunt instrument and and delivering that in a very sort of clumsy sort of way so so yeah, I mean, the, the bottom line is, I don't know what the answer is, Tom. You don't know what the answer is, but the reality is um, the police are in this kind of no-win situation where if they don't try and stem knife crime, uh, then they get accused of tolerating the deaths of young black men. So it's kind of head, yeah. heads you lose, tails you lose, isn't it? I mean, I suppose one question is, you know, what impact can stop and search really have? in terms of the numbers, because it, it would be difficult to imagine that, you know, I mean, obviously you could stop it, you could, you'd have, you could have, you could institute a system of um, random arbitrary stop and search without reasonable suspicion, without any suspicion. You could just have, you could, we could really introduce a system like that. And in some, you know, it, that as a citizen, 
in this country, it's your duty to just comply with a police stop and search. Um, and and that would wouldn't be compliant consistent with 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 convention rights probably. But it's some countries in the world which, which are very sort of law abiding and which are very very secure. You know, at the sort of at the Singapore end of the spectrum, I don't know what the law is in Singapore on this. You could you could institute a system like that, perhaps, mm. but it's a, it's a question of whether that is too great a sacrifice yeah. in terms of our our freedoms. Yeah. Um, and I think, I'm not really saying anything helpful. Yeah, there, no, no, no. Um, it's just I think it's yeah. just useful to hear. I think it's more useful for for me to hear someone who understands, like you, who understands the. You know the the history and the um, the ethics and the law and all of these things. It's it's kind of weirdly reassuring actually to hear you yeah. say that because there are so many commentators out there, uh, particularly in the media, who think it's all dead straightforward. You know, and it's so not. It's unbelievably complex. And so yeah, and I, and I agree that uh, I don't think the answer is all in about stop and search. It's about it's, it's a massively complex issue, and it starts probably when those young young men are probably five or six years old, um, and and getting into those families that are kind of, you know, um, struggling um, for all sorts of different reasons, and give them the support that they need very 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 early on that journey. Because the reality is that by the time the police get involved it's a bit like you know it's the end game isn't it it's the end game yeah, and and, and i think you know my analogy that i like to use about attacking the police for yeah uh, you know stop and search it's a bit like it's a bit like blaming the aa when your car breaks down you know well you were the last ones to touch it so it must be your fault you know and you know yeah. never mind the fact that you know, nobody had been putting oil in the car for the last three years, that the, the tires were all bald, the bricks, you know, there was bits falling off it. But because it's the AA who came and, and sort of tried to help in a crisis situation, therefore, it all must be the fault of the AA, mustn't it? I'm conscious that we've talked for quite a long time now, it's probably about an hour. It's been, it's been absolutely fascinating. I, I really genuinely, you know, I'm so grateful for you giving up your time. I hope you find it useful and interesting. Brilliant. Yeah, look, we should keep on the conversation as well, because um, I'm interested in this stuff. And, um, and and you've got, you know, you've got the you've got the, the cred. So it's kind of nice. <laughs> well, you know, it's... Um, and thanks for the opportunity to have a chat. It's great know, to catch up. Yeah, after, yeah it's after great. Well, um, and to talk about interesting stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've been, you've been, you've been up... Yosemite recently. I know the last time I spoke to you, you've been up. El I meant, El I'm, Capitan, I've got a plan to go actually this coming September, really? but um, my body is increasingly fragile. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good idea. The story that always makes me laugh that you told, I was asking about. So, Tom, uh, for those who don't know, Yosemite, um, the rock climbing Yosemite is like what three, four thousand feet of sheer granite, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And um, and you sleep on those awful things called um, what the portal ledges, aren't they? The portal ledges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I said, uh, I said to Tom, what's it like sleeping on one of those things, two thousand feet up a kind of a sheer granite rock face? And you said, uh, oh yeah, you sleep like a baby. You wake up every twenty minutes <laughs> screaming. <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> listen my friend it's been an absolute pleasure and um brilliant brilliant I've really uh, good luck with the book i can't wait to receive my free copy yes you'll <laughs> you'll, you'll definitely be getting one of those listen uh, excellent thanks a million mate cheers bye cheers So there you go, folks. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. It was lovely to chat to Tom and really, really interesting to hear his perspective. Um, I suppose the key takeaway for me out of that is, is this, is that if anyone thinks that these issues are straightforward, because that is the kind of narrative that come from activists from politicians and certainly from the media, they're very guilty of this. If anyone thinks these issues that the police are grappling with day in and day out are straightforward, I think you would agree that even when you put those issues to someone like Tom, who is a effectively a constitutional lawyer whose entire job day in and day out is grappling with some of these issues, and even he can see uh, that that the police are in an almost no-win situation. And I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think he more or less said himself, oh my God, 
you know, that's a terrible thing that police officers have to put up with being filmed and that's completely unacceptable. And, um, you know, there is no simple solution to stopping young men dying um, in, in knife crime attacks, etc. You know, these are really super complex issues. So I suppose I take some comfort from that. But equally, I would really want to try and emphasise to to those who do have a tendency to continually try and um, attack the police for whatever they do, um, because it's completely missing the point that if you, you know what, if you think you can do better, then I'm all ears. You know, let's put you in a uniform uh, for a few days into some of those very, very difficult situations. And, and we'll see how you get on, because if you think it's dead simple, then good luck to you. Right. Anyway. I think we'll call it a day there. So thanks very much indeed for listening. And don't forget, if you enjoy this, can you please do us a massive favour and go on Apple Podcasts and on the app and rate and review. Thank you very much. Bye. Oh! <laughs>